You're listening to. Welcome to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. I'm Marvin Yu, and I'm Rira Yu. And this is another mid-month episode.、Um, we're going to be talking to Sarah Kuhn, the author of Heroin Warship, the sequel to our Books and Boba inaugural book club pick, Heroin Complex. Yeah, can you believe that it's been about a year since is, we started this podcast? Almost a year since.、Um, I've never done anything <laughs> this consistent in my life. By the way, <laughs> well, I'm happy to have helped、yeah. uh, make it a reality. This started out as a like a tweet, right? It started out as a tweet. It started off as an angry tweet, <laughs> being like, "Man, someone just told me that there aren't a lot of Asian American authors out there. Well, I want to prove him wrong." And, and apparently, there is may, way more, way than more than you could thought. ever imagine.、Yeah. We have enough books to sustain us for like what ten, yeah, ten, fifteen years. Or something. years. <laughs> um, <laughs> a quick reminder that our August books and boba book pick is the devotion of Suspect X by Keiko Higashino.、Um, By all accounts, it's a really, really good read. And if you have read the book and finished and have some thoughts to share,、um, please share it on our Goodreads forum and our Goodreads group.、Um, go to Goodreads.com and type in books and boba and sound off.、Um, we'll definitely take your comments into consideration while we record the、um, upcoming pod. So、um, we'd love to know your thoughts. And、uh, before we go into our interview with Sarah Kuhn, I posted a poll. On our Twitter,、uh, just just for fun, and the question was, do you prefer to read one book at a time or multiple books at once? And it was a very close call, but I think we had like one or two more votes on more books at once. So we have some multitaskers among our book club. Do you mean like you're switching between books? Yeah, you're switch- switching、oh. between books.、Hmm, I don't know if I can do that. I mean, aren't you doing that already? Because you're reading.、Uh, I have books in the queue, but like I'm not like I guess I am switching between. I don't know, but it it's not count, really. It、like, counts if you're like switching between, but、I'm、not switching back and forth. You know, I'm switching to a new book and finishing that book before going back. Wait, does how that does that、count? make no? How does that make sense? Where, like I mean, I I read the first chapter of Night Fox Gambit,、uh-huh. and then、um, I got I picked up、um, the August book pick, so、mm-hmm. I'm starting that. But I'm not going to switch between the two. I'm going to finish the August book pick before going back to Nine Fox Gambit. See, I like switching back and forth because、uh, some days I just, you know, I feel more of a tug towards one genre over the other. I'll be like, oh, today is a fantasy day. I'm going to read a fantasy、true. book. You know what though? I, the way I read is very bingey. So if I get to a point where I can put it down and stop, I probably have reached either a point where I need to sleep. Or it's a natural like break in the plot, which、mm-hmm. is why I can come back to it later. But I think if I if I end my session on a cliffhanger, I will go back to that book the next day or when I wake up. Well, let us know your reading habits. <laughs> if you have any like special tips for reading multiple books at once, please tweet at us. Yeah. But without further ado, here is our interview with Sarah Kuhn. Enjoy. Hey everyone, we're here、uh, talking to Sarah Kuhn, the author behind Heroin Worship, the sequel to Heroin Complex, the first inaugural book of our Books and Boba book club.、Um, welcome, Sarah. How's it going? 
Good. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Sarah is local to Los Angeles with us, but we're on like opposite sides of Los Angeles. <laughs> so for people who don't know, people on the east side typically don't go out to the west side or vice versa. <laughs> so we're going to talk through the magic of Skype. <laughs> Hashtag LA problems. <laughs> the struggle is real. Uh- <laughs> But um, how's it going? How how's how has the reception been to your books? It's been out for about a month now, right? About a month, yeah. Um, it's been really wonderful. I mean, you know, I am still just I still get just as nervous, even though I've already been through a book release. Now, um, <laughs> I, I still feel the butterflies. I still wonder if people are liking characters. And with this one especially, I had a narrator shift. Mm. Um, The first book is Evie's point of view. And the second book is Aveda, who is her best friend slash former mean boss. (laughs) And, you know, in the first book in Heroin Complex, Aveda is kind of an antagonist. Um, And I knew that a lot of people did not really like her and did not like the way she treated Evie for good reason. Um, but I deeply related to her while I was writing this book. And so I felt sort of extra protective of her because I wanted people to, you know, connect with her and like her too. And so far I've been really pleased with the response. I feel like, um, especially women, especially women of color, um, really relate to kind of her quest to be the best and <laughs> the pressures that she faces while she's doing that. So, so far, it's been really great. That's awesome. That's super interesting because I remember while reading the first book, um, I guess she was the antagonist in the way that like, you have like the mean older sister be the antagonist yeah. in like a drama where you know they're yeah. they're like they love each other. It's just yeah. that they're like it's, it's really funny because uh before um before this recording, I listened to the pilot episode of of the podcast and we were all talking about how it was um it was kind of like really hard to like for me, like I said, oh, I relate to Aveda because I have tiger parents and I'm like a yeah. perfectionist and I have a type A personality. So when I was yeah. reading uh, this book, I was like, wow, like Aveda is is kind of awesome. She's like, super, <laughs> like, I mean, Evie describes her as a bludgeon and bludgeons get shit done. And I don't know, it just it like. I, I was I managed to latch onto uh, the narrator much faster this mm. time around, so that's what I noticed. But I, I wasn't mean, a Veda fan from the first book. That's super interesting because I feel like um, in watching the reactions, everyone kind of has their favorite. Um, you know, like I, some people have read this one and been like, "Oh my god!" Like I am a Veda. Like I actually related to her much more than Evie. And then some people have said, "Like, oh, you know, I still really relate to Evie more. I feel like she's more <laughs> an expression of me." But I can at least now see where um, where Aveda is coming from. And you know, like I was saying, I feel very protective of her because as the author, I knew in the first book where she was coming from. Um, but I know that just reading it, not everyone had that same, that same knowledge. <laughs> so I appreciated that I had a chance to express that a little more fully in this book and really get into, you know, why she is the way she is, why she does the things she does. And I wanted to make sure that, um, 
you know, I feel like a lot of times when there are two female main characters in something, they get pitted against each other a lot. Like Mm -hmm. it's always about like who's better or (laughs) hashtag team this person or whatever. Um, And so I wanted to make it clear that like, I think they're both awesome in their own ways, which are different ways. And that it is, you know, um, like whenever we have a story like that, I always hate it when it turns into sort of a battle. Like I like Betty yeah. or or, and, or I like Veronica. Uh, you can like them both. Um, There's actually a scene want- in your book uh, where yeah. <laughs> like Aveda and Evie confront Macy and they're like, yeah. why, why does there always only only have to be one superheroine like why is this there's like you're setting this impossible standard for a superheroine when you can have two awesome uh superheroes and they can be different and they can be friends and it made me think how uh like in movies and in television shows featuring superheroes, we don't really see a lot of female friendships. And, um, you know, the, the relationship between Evie and Aveda, that's something that was kind of like the heart of the series. And I was so glad that it carried on to the sequel. Yeah. Needless needless to say, um, Sarah Kuhn crushes the Bechdel test. Oh yeah. And, uh, (laughs) There's no, they're not fighting over boys. They're fighting over. They're not you know. <laughs> fighting over boys. They're fighting over. They their each have own their own deeply ingrained <laughs> issues. Um. So from reading the book, there were a lot of pop culture references, uh, like her- heroic trio and uh, Star Trek and Hamilton. So <laughs> I'm guessing that you're a big fan of geekdom, um, yes. judging by your body of work. Um. Were there any specific pieces of work that inspired you to make heroin complex and heroin worship? Uh, For sure. I mean, I was very inspired by um, a lot of things that I grew up on. So Marvel comic books. I was a huge X-Men fan. Um, I've talked a lot about how I love how much the X-Men talk about their feelings because <laughs> superheroes talking about my feeling about their feelings is one of my favorite things. So that's why there's so many feelings in these books. Um, certainly Hong Kong action movies. I love how a lot of the action set pieces are so amazing and over the top and kind of ridiculous, but you still buy them because they're so well put together. Um, and then things like, um, you know, obviously Buffy the Vampire Slayer, that sort of contrast of the humorous, mundane life of a teenager with the ridiculousness of all this supernatural paranormal activity. Um, and then uh, my friend um, Javier Grigio Marx watches show The Middleman kind of did that really well, really well also, that sort of contrast of like, here are these regular people going through their lives, but also they have to deal with all this like, super powered supernatural <laughs> shit so there were a, a, a few things that came into play for sure um when i was coming up with it and then um it's funny you mentioned the hamilton reference i obviously am a big fan of hamilton like everyone <laughs> but i actually put that in because uh one of my editors when she was reading the book the second book there's a bachelorette party scene um and at first it was just kind of like this really short scene that was the precursor to a big battle and she was like you know what I really I want to see these characters breathe like I want to see the scene breathe I want to see them being friends and kind of 
talking about things that are not, you know, scary <laughs> monsters. And before they have to get into this sort of last sequence of battles, I think that would be really nice to see. Um, and so she said, and I think it could be like um, Hamilton's story of tonight. So <laughs> maybe like think about that. She's like, maybe that's a silly comparison, but just think about that. So I actually put that reference in specifically for her. <laughs> It was funny because when I was reading that scene and it was just like the four girls together, I thought like, oh, raise a glass to freedom. And then I yeah. read the next paragraph and that and that <laughs> joke was in there. And I was like, man, on point, on point. <laughs> yes, yes uh, thank you. That's really awesome, too. I remember um, that was one of the favorite, my favorite things about the, the first book and something that, that you also do in this book is the um, like what what a superhero would what being a superhero would be like in like today's like very social media focused world. So you mm-hmm. have like social media publicists, you have like yeah. <laughs> gala and like appearances. And on the second book you have like birthday party appearances and like taking on wedding culture, like modern yeah. wedding culture. Yeah. I thought the whole uh, like bridezilla uh, plot <laughs> in the book was just so much fun because I'm a big fan of weddings. I love like me too. <laughs> I've I've been a bridesmaid a couple of times now, and it's just like my favorite part is just like helping the bride like plan out everything. <laughs> so like mm-hmm. I could definitely relate to like the stress, even though I I'm not engaged and I'm not married. Um, <laughs> but it was. Um, it was just it was just so nice to see uh like Aveda's character grow because in the first book she is kind of like a diva and she is um she's she's kind of a bitch but like I still think <laughs> in a pretty good way she gets things done. Okay. <laughs> um but in the second book she realizes that she hasn't really been a good friend and she's kind of in this unhealthy codependent relationship with Evie. So mm-hmm. my question is, were there any challenges in writing Aveda the second time around, especially since she is the narrator? <laughs> yes. I mean, I think like uh, for me as a reader, um, to be honest, my gauge of sort of someone acting quote unquote bitchy is sort of off because I always seem to love the female characters who are like described as unlikable. (laughs) Like if I see a bad review for a book on Amazon and it's because it has an unlikable female character, I buy it immediately. (laughs) Um, So I had to, I had to like adjust my gauge a little bit just to make sure that even though I understand where Aveda is coming from, that other people reading the book understand that as well. And, you know, her voice was very easy for me to get get into. Um, I feel like, you know, I definitely have felt a lot of pressure in my life from different forces, from, you know, my mom and from, uh, like, sort of media and from a lot of different forces (laughs) uh, of, like, to be sort of the best. You know, I feel like especially as, as women of color, sometimes we aren't given room to be anything less than that. We kind of have to be the best. Um, and I wanted to really dig into that idea. Um, and so like navigating that was definitely very emotional. And that is maybe where the, the difficulty came in some of the time. But I really just tried to get into like, having her express both in internal monologue and in things that she's saying to people, why she's doing the things she does that, you know, when she's been sort of obsessed with 
being in the spotlight and maybe doing things that are are kind of diva-ish. It's not because she's a bad person. It's not because she wants to be mean to Evie. It's because she feels this tremendous pressure and drive to be the best. And that's kind of sometimes gotten in the way of her doing things like remembering that her best friend also has feelings and (laughs) that she should pay attention to that. Um, so yeah, it was, it was for the most part, it was a big joy to get to write her and to get to dig into all that stuff. And probably the parts that were difficult were just when maybe it hit a little too close to home. I really, really love the relationship between Aveda and her mother, because mm-hmm. I thought that was super relatable because like, because, <laughs> because like Aveda, she, like this, this entire time she thought that her parents were disappointed in her. They're always criticizing her and <laughs> comparing her to her successful cousin, Sophie. We all have a successful cousin, Sophie, that our I have parents, several. Yes. yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, like did, was it your intention to like really uh, focus on that relationship, the parental and uh, daughter relationship in yeah, this book? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, you know, my mom was a very big influence in my life when I was growing up and still is. You know, she she passed away uh, when I was 22. And so I I really wanted to dig into that relationship. I feel like the relationship between an Asian girl and her Asian mom is like, it's really hard to explain. Um, <laughs> but it's one of those, you know, but it's one of those experiences that I feel like when I talk to other Asian girls about their experience, like their relationship with their Asian moms, there are a lot of similarities. <laughs> there are a lot of common threads, um, even though we're all different people with different life experiences. So I really wanted to get into like how complicated that can be. Um, how sometimes that person has the most power to sort of hurt you, but also the most power to sort of make you feel happy. Um, And I also definitely wanted it to be a situation where it's not, you know, it's sort of like a Veda to Evie. It's not that her mom is just being mean to her for no reason. Um, And it's not that she's putting all these expectations on her Uh, because she wants to punish her in some way. It's because she, in her own way, is trying to show that she cares about Aveda. And sometimes things get lost in translation, but ultimately that's where it's coming from. Um, And that's something that Aveda has to kind of come to see, and that her mom kind of has to come to see that like maybe some of her methods are not the most effective. <laughs> um, like, I think I had a, I had a conversation with one of my friends um, while I was writing this, and she was saying that she's like, with my mom, it's always like, criticism is caring. Like, she expresses <laughs> her caring through criticism. And it took me a long time to realize that's what it was. Um, so I kind of wanted her to go on a similar journey of, like, realizing that, when her mom is criticizing her, she actually is doing it out of love and she hasn't quite figured out that that's maybe not the best way to express love (laughs) to her daughter. Yeah. um, I thought it was really funny because uh, like Aveda's career as a superheroine, it can, it's, it's a creative career technically. And um, (laughs) it's like, and the reason why I found uh, Aveda and her mom's relationship really relatable is that for 
um, Asian Americans in the creative field that th- their parents are usually very uh, not supportive in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, They're, like if I can say so kindly, but <laughs> but it it's like they. They say like, what about like job security? Like, what yeah. about like what, what's like? How are you going to like pay for rent? And all the criticisms, it's it's really coming from a position of caring. They want you to yeah. survive. Yeah, they yeah. want you to yeah, not be yeah. homeless. I, and it's you know like that was based on so much of like conversations I had with my mom when I was younger, <laughs> and she would like always kind of criticize what I saw is like, oh, I want to be a writer. And it was like, okay, but you need health insurance. Like, and, (laughs) you know, of course, at the time I took that as just a flat criticism. But I think it was really like, oh, she wants me to not die. Like, I can see that a little better now. Uh, But I did think it would be funny if because um, I have so many friends who have gone into creative professions after sort of pursuing what their parents wanted them to do. Um, Like I have one friend who was a lawyer before he decided to finally make the leap and become a TV writer. Um, And he always told me the story about how um, when he passed the bar, his dad called all of his friends and just told them that his son was a lawyer now and then like hung up. Um, So I thought, you know, like it would be it would be sort of like funny and relatable if this person is a superhero, like she's really badass. She's famous like all these people love her but her parents are still kind of like well are you sure you don't want to be a doctor though like (laughs) you know what's a really good a good profession is like being a doctor and she's kind of like what I'm doing is actually pretty important but it's sort of hard for them to see yeah I thought it was um it was really sweet when Aveda's mom said like oh it's because like this is not a traditional path and we just yeah. didn't really understand what you were trying to do. But like later, like given time, we, we saw like, we kind of understood what you were yeah. trying to do. But at that yeah. point, Aveda had just kind of uh, put up a wall between her and her parents saying that her parents are dead to the public. <laughs> right. And right. it's like, right. well, <laughs> if you miscommunication think of- <laughs> right there. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, like Western superheroes, it's kind of a foreign thing to immigrant parents. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I did want to ask. Um, so, like we mentioned this in our first episode, but um, there hasn't really been any books featuring an Asian American woman superheroine in in literature, at least. It was like the first time for me was reading your book, Heroin Complex. Mm-hmm. And I remember in the first episode, we also griped about how there hasn't been a movie about a female superhero. But that mm-hmm. has changed. So much has changed within the span of one year. Like we have, we had Wonder Woman and now we have uh, Kelly, Mar- uh, Kelly Marie Tran in Star Wars. Yeah. So um, my question is, did you feel a lot of pressure to get the representation right when you started writing the series? Oh, yes. (laughs) Um, I mean, one of the things I talked about the most uh, when I was doing press for Heroin Complex was this idea of the rep sweats, you know, which was coined by our friends, Phil Yu and Joanna Lee and Jenny Yang. um, They had sort of talked about from the other side, from the audience side of like, when you see something's coming out and has an Asian character, 
and you're sort of excited, but then you're also like, oh God, what if this is terrible? And they don't allow us back on TV for like another <laughs> 20 years. Um, and so I felt um, the whole time I was really experiencing that from the creator side, where I certainly know as an audience member what it's like to get something, to get some kind of representation and to be so hopeful and to be so excited. And because there aren't very many representations out there, that one matters more. And then to maybe feel disappointed by it, you know, to feel like, um, you know, the example I always used was, I love Jubilee now, like now she's like one of my favorite characters. But when I was growing up, I felt like that was kind of all I was being offered. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, I don't, I don't really relate to this character. I like to wear black, not yellow. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not like super talkative. I don't chew bubble gum. I don't like to go to the mall. Like, <laughs> I feel like I'm being given this character, but it's not, it still doesn't really represent who I am. Um, and so when this book the series started being talked about, I saw a lot of really excited reactions and a lot of like, I've been waiting so long for this. <laughs> and I would be like, oh, that's exciting. And then I would immediately feel really sick because I would, I was like, oh, but it's still, I mean, these characters are, are characters. They're very specific. They, you know, they have flaws. They do, they are not perfect. Um, they aren't going to be for everyone. And so I started just getting the rep sweats in that way of like, <laughs> I don't know if I'm representing well for my community. Um, and I think um, what ultimately sort of helped were, well, is a couple things. And one was, you know, there are more now. I mean, like, like you talked about, things are getting better. I mean, just last year, there were two other books by Asian American writers that have Asian American lead uh, superheroes. There was uh, Not Your Sidekick by C.B. Lee, Lee and um, Last Call at the Nightshade Lounge by Paul Kruger. And I felt like, you know, those those three books, they're all really different. They all have really different characters. It provides kind of, kind of a range of experiences. So that made me feel like, okay, like we're starting to have a little more diversity in that at least so that one book or one character doesn't kind of have to represent all things and mean all things to everyone. Um, and then uh, the other thing was I did start to see a really positive response. And I felt like even if people didn't necessarily see themselves um, in EV, although a lot of people did, mm -hmm. uh, that it wasn't this like immediate dismissal that they were still like, Oh, but I'm glad this exists. Or like, I enjoyed this story. Um, and so I think like, hopefully we're getting to a better place where there are more representations. Um, so everybody can kind of have their character. Um, and I, I sort of like, started to feel better about that but definitely at the beginning i felt a lot of pressure well i feel like it also helps that your uh, covers are amazing and beautiful and yeah jason super chan cool does a really good job <laughs> jason covers. chan i know they're amazing i just i i was so happy when i saw both of those characters both of those covers um because i feel like he captures like not just what the characters look like, but like their personalities. They have such different personalities. Yeah. Um, and I feel like he captures that. And he also put them in really powerful <laughs> superheroine poses. Like yeah. they look like they're really getting stuff done. So one thing I wanted to ask was um, the first book introduced me to like 
really illicit romantic scenes that I haven't read before because I don't really read romance <laughs> novels. Does uh, I want this? I guess it's a question to Rira and we fold into a question to you, Sarah. Does does this book? Uh, does the second book compare? There, there is <laughs> yes. romance. There are sparks. <laughs> yes, I think they have about the same. Um, they have about the same what we call heat level. It's like the same amount of explicitness. Um, but yeah, I you know I am a big uh, romance reader. I consider these books sort of on the line between fantasy and romance. Some people call them romanticy because they're sort of a, a blend. And there are a lot of other books like that too. I mean, I think the whole sort of urban fantasy, paranormal romance subgenre um, has a lot of mixing and blending. And, you know, I, I personally think that really good sex scenes are just as important as any kind of scene is it, you know, is a really good fight scene. I feel like they can advance <laughs> character. They can show you so much about the characters. Um, I mean, in addition to being like <laughs> sexy, I think that they, they reveal a lot about a lot, a lot about who those people are and kind of what their journey is. So those are important for me to, um, to include. And especially considering the sort of journeys of both of these characters. I mean, in the first book, you know, Evie is so closed off. She's so shut down emotionally. Um, she hasn't really truly connected to anyone in years. Um, and so some of that scene was about showing how she's getting more comfortable with herself and she actually is connecting with someone. Um, and she does, you know, after years of being shut down is having all these feelings. Um, so yeah, I always um, try <laughs> to make sure they are advancing the the characters in those ways. Yeah, it, the romance definitely advances Aveda's character, uh, personally, in my <laughs> opinion, because Aveda is so like, she's just like, oh, like, in order to be a great superheroine, I can't have any weaknesses. Mm. And to like, mm -hmm. be to, to be in a relationship to be vulnerable, like that's making me weak. So like, <laughs> yeah. so I yeah. definitely think romance is a very important part in the character's journeys. Um, this is going to be so random, but I, I just have to uh, mention it because heroine worship, um, it has the whole bridezilla plotline with, um, <laughs> with like demon possessed brides and, and stuff like that. It just reminded me of this one episode of Sailor Moon. Like, I'm not, oh. <laughs> I'm not sure if you, if you're aware of that, but th yeah, there was yeah, like yeah. a random episode in Sailor Moon where like, like a demon like latches onto this piece of fabric at a wedding shop mm -hmm. store and then and then like the bride who like makes the wedding dress out of it becomes like possessed and there are evil brides <laughs> and i don't know like i was like oh well sarah coon is like a fan of geekdom maybe she maybe yeah. she knows about that you know, that's funny i don't think i even thought about that episode because i'm a big sailor moon fan a big <laughs> sailor moon fan i don't think i even thought about that episode necessarily as an inspiration um just because when i'm usually coming up with like a demon plot it's honestly kind of my least favorite part it's kind of like math because i'm trying to figure out like <laughs> the mechanics of like how does this work and does this make sense and you know will people even buy this am i explaining it enough um but i definitely uh was inspired by sailor moon in a general sense because i always love the idea of the magical girl squad 
Um, and I love that a lot of times the, the relationships the, the sailor scouts have with each other are not like totally harmonious. <laughs> um, you know, they have their own complications and their own infighting, but they really do love each other underneath all of that. So um, in heroin worship, especially, there's kind of a point where um, hopefully you get a sense that there is like a magical girl squad forming. Like it's not just Evie and Aveda. They have like a bunch of other people around them, other women around them who are kind of part of that squad. Um, so even though I don't know if I, I uh, was inspired by that specific episode, I was definitely inspired by Sailor Moon in general. <laughs> I mean, it was such an obscure reference that I, yeah. I, I was pretty sure like you weren't directly inspired by it. But it did remind me a lot of Magical yeah. School Girls and how like it's like girls can be friends and feminine yeah. and powerful and they can work together. And it's like <laughs> so magical. But um, yeah. Speaking of the girl squad, I heard that your next book focuses on B, Evie's sister. Yeah. That's right. Um, yeah, so B is Evie's little sister. Um, she's featured a lot in both books that have come out so far. Um, and in those books, she is still a teenager. In the third book, um, which is from her point of view, we're going to do a little bit of a time jump. So she's uh, 22 and everybody else will find out what's been happening with them as well. Um, but the thing I kind of wanted to explore with her is, you know, she has had this really interesting growing up experience where both of her parents are out of the picture. She's basically been raised by her big sister who has not, always done the best job just because she is also growing up herself. Um, and then she finds out in the second book that she has this superpower, which is sort of the, the power of like emotional projection. Like she can, if she, she can sort of project her mood onto you and make you feel something else. Um, and what I thought was interesting about that was it's kind of a power that is very close to mind control and is probably the most villain adjacent power of all the powers in the book. <laughs> so what I kind of want to explore with her is that moment where you have to decide if you are a hero or a villain, if you're going to do good or if you're going to use your power for personal gain and whatever other villainous plots you might have up your sleeve. And I thought both her personality and her power made her kind of the best person to explore that with. But of course, there's, there'll still be a lot of fun, uh, fun stuff, fun, happy stuff. Um, you do meet her, uh, her love interest in the second book, in Heroine Worship. Um, that was another thing that got added to that bachelorette party scene <laughs> after uh, my editor suggested I expand it. So he is in there, and you will get to see more of them in book three. Nice. Um, well, one one last question before we go: um, what are you What are you reading right now? Do you have any books uh, recommendations, suggestions for people to check out? Oh yeah. Um, hold on, let me think about this for a minute. Um, well, I am reading an arc of my friend Cecil Castellucci's book, which is called Don't Cosplay With My Heart. <laughs> it is um, a geek romance, a geek YA romance about a girl who enjoys cosplaying as her favorite character and then 
you know, hijinks ensue. Um, that is coming out, I believe, at the beginning of next year. Um, let's see, what else? Um, I just read um, a great uh, YA rom-com, another YA rom-com called When Dimple Met Rishi. Oh, yes. By, um, <laughs> I on. Yes, it's really good. It's really cute. Um, it's one of those books where you just ship it. You just want the characters <laughs> to get together. Um, super adorable. And then I have my usual like overflowing TBR stack that keeps getting more and more out of control because I keep acquiring more books through various methods. Mm. Uh, so I'm sure I'll have more to share soon. But yeah, those are the two that have sort of been that I, I've sort of been uh, experiencing most recently. Awesome. I do. Um, Marvin said one last question, but that was a lie. I was going to ask you. I have, I have a question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it might be a, a bit of a tough question. So bear with me. I will try to articulate okay. as well as okay. I can. <laughs> um, so I think a lot of Asian American writers, they feel pressure to write stories about their experience, right? About their Asianness, should I say, about the immigrant experience or, or like finding out your identity. But the thing is, like, there, like, we can write whatever we want. And I just wanted to ask, do you have any, uh, words of wisdom for, uh, Asian American writers out there who are planning to get published as novelists or, uh, work in another medium? Um, that's a great question. And it's something that I think about a lot. Um, I think that from like a starting point, um, I would encourage Asian American writers to write the story they're most passionate about, to write sort of that story that they feel like only they can tell and to not worry too much about what they think they should be writing or what they think that people want to hear or whatever. Just tell the story that's in your heart. I can't say that getting it published will be easy uh, because there are still many issues in the in, in the industry of, um, you know, yeah, a lot of times the sort of immigrant story is um, more attractive or the story about Asian Americans struggling in some way is mm -hmm. more attractive. Um, and of course, I think those are still important, vital stories that we need. But I would definitely like to see the scope expand um, so that we can write, you know, like I always say, my books are about Asian girls having fun. They're just about like girls getting to be awesome and getting to like have friendships and crazy adventures and getting to eat terrible junk food and sing bad karaoke and have hot sex with amazing love interests. Um, and I think that um, hopefully we'll start getting more of a diversity of stories out there so that people maybe don't feel as much pressure to write about one thing or the other and feel more comfortable writing what the story is that they want to tell, what the story is that's in their heart. Um, so I guess that's what I would say. Um, and I hope to see everyone's story out there at some point. Yeah, like awesome. I'm always surprised by our growing TBR list of Asian American like authors because like just when I think like, oh, I think we have everyone on this list so far, but more <laughs> books come out by Asian American mm -hmm. authors. So it's like it's so yeah. nice to see uh, this growth because it was definitely like not there before. 
<laughs> yeah. It was so yeah, hard. It no, used to be so I, hard to I, find YA books featuring Asian American uh, characters, let, an, let alone protagonists. So yeah, yeah, I feel. I mean, I feel like that has gotten so much better over the last few years. We have so many more choices, and hopefully, that will just keep continuing. Um, and then, you know, of course, the other thing is like. I know sometimes Asian American writers feel pressure to only write Asian American characters. Um, for me, it was kind of like the reverse, I guess. Like at first I felt like I had to write white characters because I never, well, I, I guess I should say I hadn't seen very many like Asian protagonists who got to be centered in their stories who were like girls like me. Um, and so it took me so long to get to the point of like, no, I'm going to write this story with Asian American girls at the center that now I'm just like, Oh, I'll do that forever. Like, I'm totally cool with that. If um, someone wants to pay me to do that, I don't like, I know some people feel like that's like pigeonholing or whatever. And I'm like, no, that's awesome. Like I will totally do that. But I respect that not, not everyone feels like that. And I think that's another thing is like, also, don't feel pressure to write um, Asian American characters if that's not what you're feeling like you want to write about. You should write what you you truly want to write. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. um, there's always like, what is it? We say we say like white characters are default. Like, even when yeah. we read books and their their ethnicity is not mentioned, we automatically think that they're white, and that's mm-hmm. you know that's a, a thought pattern that we have to change because yes. you know. I think if if people could get in there, if people could get it in their heads that whatever you make a character is the choice. If you make a character white, that's a choice. If you make a character straight, that's a choice. You know, there are all these things we, that we've sort of been conditioned to think of as the default, and that that's just you know what we're doing. We don't have to think about it. But mm-hmm. I wish that people would sort of get it in their heads that like whatever you make a character no matter how quote unquote default that seems, it's still a choice and you have to think about that. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Sarah, for joining us and chatting with us about your book and about Asian American literature. Um, Looking forward to the next book. Um, Is it, are you aiming for a 2018 release? Yes. I think (laughs) it is scheduled. It could still change, but I think it's scheduled for uh, summer 2018. Awesome. I know that you also write uh, comic books, right? Yes. Oh, right. Yes. Uh, right now I have um, two little Barbie graphic novels out. <laughs> um, those are from Paper Cuts, and they are about Barbie um, pursuing her dream of becoming a fashion designer. <laughs> and then uh, my friend Amber Benson and I wrote a comic book that is a comic book continuation of the movie Clueless Clueless. um, that is out at the end of August. And um, it was with uh, the artist Siobhan Keenan, who has this amazing, very animated style that went really well with that. So yes. And then I have a few things that I think are still a secret, (laughs) Um, but those are the, those are the things that are out right now. Nice. So dear listeners, after we finish Heron Worship, if you're feeling a Sarah Kuhn hole in your life <laughs> before a third book, check out those comics because you'll see her words there. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you so much again for chatting with us. Um, thank you. And yeah. Yeah. See you next time. <laughs> Bye. 
And that was our interview with Sarah Kuhn. Um, you can check out her book, Heroin Worship, which is out now. Um, and, and if you haven't read the first book, Heroin Complex, you can get both those books at your local bookstore. Definitely check it out. Uh, and thanks for listening to this episode of Books and Boba. Um, again, our August book pick is The Devotion of Suspect X by Keiko Higashino. Um, we'll be um, discussing that book at our live book club next week. And um, our next episode will be our book club discussion episode. So, And if you're in the LA area, please check out our Facebook page for the event info for our live book club meeting. Yeah. Thanks again for listening to Books and Boba. We'll see you next time. Bye. Books and Boba was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yu and edited by Marvin Yue. Don't forget to join the Books and Boba Goodreads group to share your thoughts about our monthly book picks as well as share updates and book news with your fellow book club members. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of podcasts featuring unique voices from the Asian American community. If you like Books and Boba, check out our other great podcasts such as the Collabcast, the official podcast of the collaboration movement, taking a weekly look at pop culture and the creative life from an Asian American perspective. Check out the Collabcast and the other great programs of the Potluck Collective by going to the website www.podcastpotluck.com. 